0: Good morning! Wow, Uh, that was awesome. It's good to just be in this place. Um, It's also good watching the service from at home, uh, which I've done many times in in recent months, and I know many are doing that this morning. So I hope people are blessed at home uh, and comfortable still in your pajamas, just relaxing, having pancakes, watching it on your phone or whatever. But I'm just glad that we can all uh, be together, at least in some fashion, and and just worship together. Well, today we're continuing our study on the book of Ephesians, uh, taking our sweet time, uh, no rush at all. Today we're just going to look at one verse, Ephesians 4:29. So, if you have a Bible or a, a phone uh, Bible phone app, you can you can pull that out. But this is my prayer uh, for this particular message. I pray that that God would use this message to help us to understand the power of the words that we speak. Um, Every single day we speak things to people around us. And I pray that our words would be a fountain of life. That our words would be refreshing, grace-filled, gospel-saturated, Holy Spirit-drenched. I pray that our words would be aptly spoken, tailor-fit gems that enrich the soul. I pray that God would remind us today that we are representing him with our words when we speak. The word of God says, let him who speaks speak as the very oracle of God. We're in fact living epistles, the Bible says, right? Living, animated letters from God to the world. So I pray that our words would be kind and gracious, wise and compassionate, um, and that we would speak, never speak unhelpful words, or words that confuse or words that hurt, but that our words would in fact heal and build people up and advance the kingdom of God. So here's the verse uh, in Ephesians 4, 29. It just says this simple sentence. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Words are powerful. In the negative sense, we all know that words can actually cut deeply, so deeply that they can emotionally damage a person, really for the rest of their life. Um, we can think of examples of uh, spouses speaking things you know to their husband or wife that just stick and stay and damage in deep ways. Of course, uh, parents, abusive parents, speaking things to children, those words can go down so deep. People can be uh, 60 years old and remember something that dad said when they were five, right? And it's just wreaked havoc in their life through the years. Um, we can think about grade school and how the words of bullies can just cut so deep, it can actually affect a person's whole entire life and and almost cause them to be uh, paralyzed emotionally just by the words of some kid, you know, in fourth grade. Uh, That's how powerful words can be. But in the positive sense, words can be life-giving. They can restore and heal and inspire and motivate and educate and equip, encourage. They can can set people free. That's how powerful words are. Words spoken can remove deceptions that have oppressed people for years. Words can remind people of the most important things and can help them to renew their focus on what's most important. This power, both positive and negative, of words spoken is, I think, the meaning of the proverb. You've probably uh, heard this proverb. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words can kill. Words can bring life. In fact, the word of life, as the gospel is described as one of the kind of the phrases, the descriptions for the gospel, the message of Jesus, uh, the, the gospel itself, the word of life, can be so powerful that it can raise a person out of spiritual deadness into brand newness of resurrection life. Wow. That's the power of the word. <laughs> I think of Acts chapter 10, for example, when the apostle Peter brings a message to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. It says that while Peter was uh, speaking, while Peter was yet speaking, the spirit fell upon those who were listening. This wasn't the first time this happened when Peter spoke. In Acts 2, Peter spoke out the message, kind of this simple gospel message to a large crowd a crowd of thousands, and his words were like arrows that penetrated the hearts of those who were listening and changed their lives. It it turned them, it brought them out of unbelief and infused, kind of imparted faith into them that they were suddenly awakened to the good news of Jesus and their lives were changed. 3,000 people were added to the church just in that one just that one short sermon, how powerful words can be. Scripture says that the words of Jesus were spirit and life. Our words can be accompanied by the working of the Holy Spirit in such a way that uh, it's like the Spirit takes the words. And, and it could be in a crowd like this, or it could be in a small group, or it could be one-on-one. It does, it's not just preaching, but the Spirit of God can take our words and sort of usher them into the deep places of a person's heart, kind of bringing them right where they need to go to minister in the way that God wants them to. I also, this is a little bit of a side thought here, but I wonder if Paul had prophecy in mind when he wrote this verse, Ephesians 4.29. Prophecy, just a little bit about prophecy, is a gift of God that Paul talked in detail about in his letter to the Corinthians. Um, He, in fact, urged us to, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, he urged us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts and then adds especially the gift of prophecy, Now, prophecy is essentially uh, speaking the exact thing that the Lord God may be saying to an individual or a group of people. It speaks directly to the secrets of the heart and causes the hearer to realize that God is real and that the smallest details of their life or of their heart or maybe uh, unspoken questions or fears that they may have, that God is aware of of all of that, so it can affect somebody very deeply. And this often happens, I think, in our lives. When we pray for people, have you ever done this? You just prayed for people, and and, and sometimes almost a strange, uh, very specific thing begins to roll off of your tongue. And then the person afterward tells you, oh, the, that thing that you said was, you know, that was a question that I've been really haunted by in recent months, and, you know, you we had no idea, it just... We're just kind of praying stuff. We're trying to be led by the Spirit. And sometimes the, the words are direct and they're personal. Now, there's also, obviously, if you've been around the church for any length of time, there's a lot of abuses with uh, the gift of prophecy, um, a lot of false prophecies that, that can be given. Uh, that's why the Bible says to test the things that are, test the prophecies that are, that are given. If somebody says something in the name of the Lord, you know, telling you, this is what God is telling you, uh, don't necessarily buy it. Uh, It's okay to be a little, um, you know, a little cautious and to to think about it, maybe test it with the word of God, uh, bring it to the Lord in prayer, and let the Lord confirm it. Uh, But we're also, on the flip side, taught to not despise prophecy. So it's kind of a balance, you know, we want to be open to it, but also cautious and test it. But my point here is that it's good. Prophecy is good, and it's given for the purpose of edification and encouragement and comfort. These words that we can speak from the Lord to other people, and they can dramatically impact people's lives. Again, words are powerful. Our words can steer someone away from sin and destruction, and set them on a right path. Words can convict us, right? They can actually produce godly sorrow in us over our sin. Words can cause us to weep in prayer. Has that ever happened to you? You you just listen to somebody else praying, or somebody else gives a little word of exhortation, or something like that, or you hear a sermon, and it just goes so deep, and it just brings this welling up of weeping, in us. Words can help us take our eyes off of problems and help us to put them onto God who cares for us. Words can open our spiritual eyes to see a glimpse of the glory of God. That's how powerful words are. Now, let's talk about the negative just for a few minutes. Words can also corrupt people, okay? As he says in Ephesians Four twenty nine. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And even as I say that, we've all, we're all guilty of this in some measure uh, because, because we're human, because we're sinful, and we, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and sometimes just sinful things come out. Uh, but scriptures are very clear about being careful with the tongue. But let's think about this for a moment. To corrupt someone is to morally pollute them in some way, right? To push them to become depraved. The idea in a a picture would be of a a clean pool and something toxic is dropped into it that just pollutes or corrupts the whole pool, right? I remember, uh, this is kind of gross, but we used to have an above-ground pool, and we used to hate, I hated at least, cleaning it every year. And one year, we put it off, we put it off, we put it off. Finally, we're cleaning it, and we discovered that there was a, a dead squirrel um, in, in the, the pool water. I mean, that thing, I have never smelled anything so bad in my entire life. It made, I think we tore down the pool shortly after. We were like, we're done with this pool. This is so gross. Another picture could be one bad, and we've all probably experienced this before, one bad strawberry in the, the bin, a little package of strawberries. And what happens if you don't get that bad strawberry out? <laughs> it starts to affect and rot the strawberries around it. Everything that it touches seems to be also begins to rot. And that's why Proverbs tells us, for example, bad company corrupts good character. Now, we could also give a whole another sermon about it doesn't mean we should stay away from bad people. And, you know, we're called to go into all the world, right? And to associate with all different kinds of people and be light and try to affect them for good. You know, hopefully good company would uh, uh, affect other people. Um, our goodness or the spirit of God in us could affect other people in a good way. So we're not told to stay away from all people. But it's a principle. Bad company corrupts good character. Words spoken can corrupt people in so many ways. Let me give you a few examples. A grateful person, so filled with thankfulness, can be corrupted gradually by associating regularly with a cynical, malcontent individual. Maybe it's a roommate, you know, they're living with, and it affects them over time. Or a person with a beautifully sensitive conscience can be over time corrupted by a friend who cleverly justifies sin and begins to get them to question their high standard of morality. A person's simplicity of devotion to Jesus can be corrupted by someone who teaches them a false gospel. A young woman's purity can be corrupted by the seductive words of a young man, full of lust, or vice versa. Someone with integrity can be corrupted associating with people maybe in the workplace, for example, who downplay dishonesty. A person's love and trust for the church they attend can be corrupted by words, negative words of a brother or a sister. Our perception of a person in the church, this is hitting closer to home, right? Including pastors, can be corrupted by gossip and slander. A person's confidence in God can be corrupted. Destroyed by words that strike suspicion of the intentions of God, which is exactly what the serpent did to Eve, right, in the garden. Many children who adore their mom and dad, they just love their parents. Their parents are like awesome, you know, they're just idols to them, are sometimes corrupted in school by peers who dishonor their parents. Kids who would never engage in sex or drugs are corrupted by persuasive peers who convince them it's okay. I think of how lukewarm Christians sometimes corrupt serious Christians over time and get them to think, man, you're being too serious about holiness. Relax. This goes deep, doesn't it? This this Work of corruption that can happen through words. Think of how many, uh, this is more of an extreme example, but how many cult leaders have, through words, uh, gotten people to isolate themselves from their entire families and even in some cases have led them into mass suicide. How? Words. The persuasion of words, powerful. I think of Jim Jones. Words are powerful. Can you think of people in your life that have corrupted you at certain points and caused you to go into sin or think in ways that were really unhealthy or ungodly? I definitely can, as a Christian. I can think of that, and certainly in my pre-Christian days uh, growing up, different friends I had uh, growing up. I mean, even just as a kid, I can remember kids in the neighborhood that uh, just were definitely bad company. I won't name their names. I still remember their names. <laughs> bad kids, bad. like they just were like evangelists for sin. And But then on the other side... Have you, have I, have we corrupted other people at times by our words? I know I definitely have. Uh, certainly in my pre-Jesus days, I mean, I think about how many people I persuaded to get into drugs because I was so into drugs and I was like an evangelist for, you know, getting people into drugs and especially psychedelic drugs and Wow, I still you know carry that. I regret doing that and exposing people to those things. But I can think of many other examples, too. Think of all the various times we speak to people in everyday life. Um, you know, we speak to our family members, right? I mean, uh, moms, dads are speaking to their kids, especially little kids, like all day long. Um, we speak to... People we work with, uh, we speak to the cashier at the market. We speak to people in the church. We speak to the homeless person who might engage us on, on the way in uh, from the parking lot. We speak face to face to people, but we also speak on the phone. We speak through Zoom, which I think we're all sick of at this point, <laughs> but uh, we still do it, and we communicate through. Uh, that technology, or maybe through text or email, is still maybe even a handwritten letter. We're still speaking things. Now, it's not you know audible, but it's still we're still from our heart, like giving out words to other people. There's so many different ways we we speak. We cannot really avoid speaking, right? I mean, unless we take a vow of silence, which uh, has anybody ever done that? I haven't not really. Okay wow, yeah I don't think I've ever done that. Um, it's probably a good thing to do. I'm kind of a quiet soul anyways, but I probably spent enough time in quietness, but really, we just my point is we can't avoid speaking. you know this is part of who we are, and it it's kind of almost overwhelming realizing how weighty our words really are. I don't think we really think that I don't think we don't really. It's like it doesn't register fully. You know, we just say things, and we just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like words are that powerful. Words are cheap, everybody's speaking different things, and we, we sometimes don't really think about the power of how our words can affect people. Especially parents, I think, uh, sometimes don't really fully realize, like, how deep, you know, we're just speaking stuff off the cuff, you know, and we're... And this is like shaping children. Um, so we, we, we need to be careful about what we say. But this verse is urging us to speak things that are life-giving, encouraging, helpful, weighty, stirring, true, timely, gentle, compassionate, wise from the Lord. Speak only such as is good for building up, it says. Speak Only such as is good for building a person up. What does that mean? To build up means to to edify them, to add something to their life. It's to to come alongside what God is building in a person's life and and sort of strengthen it. I think of, so we've done five different renovations uh, through the years of Renaissance Church. Uh, Some of you have been like part of all of them. Uh, Roger, right? <laughs> Five different ones, you know. I mean, some were like on the smaller side, you know, a little space over on Broadway. There was f- 500 square feet or not even. Um, and then this, of course. But I was thinking about how when, uh, you know, most of the work was done by, by volunteers. And when volunteers would show up to to work, to do something, uh, n- nobody would just show up and just start I don't know, just grabbing stuff. Like, let me just start, let me cut this board in half and, and start nailing it up to this wall. Or here's some demolition. Maybe I think this, this wall should probably come down, maybe, since there's demolition being done. They just kind of go for it. And then, uh, you know, maybe Vinny or something who's in charge of the project is like, what? what are you doing, man? Why did you tear that wall down? We just put that up. Like, nobody does that, right? Because everybody asks the same question. What's the plan? What's the design? What's the architectural design here? What, what, which direction are we going? What walls are we putting up? How high is this wall going to go? Where exactly is this supposed to be? Everybody coming to help with a renovation is very in tune, or at least wants to be, with how to build what we're building. They want to be productive. If they're going to come and spend two, three, four hours volunteering, like they want to be doing something that's helpful. I mean, it's kind of an obvious illustration. But in the same way, when we talk about building people, it is important to understand what God's design is. Are you hearing that? Because if we're not careful, we can actually be tearing down something that God is building up. Or God may be actually dealing really severely with someone and we, maybe out of human sympathy, can actually be working against what the Lord is doing. So we need to be in tune with what God is doing. In a person. But in in a general sense, he's building us into men and women who reflect Jesus, right? He's shaping us to be like Christ, to live godly, to have good marriages, to parent with grace, to do our work with excellence and integrity, to be devoted to prayer, to be good stewards of everything we have, to be people of character, to know God intimately, and to understand the nature and attributes of God, to be wise, to be kind, to be overflowing with love, to be a salty witness. I mean, that's just a general, right? This is kind of the general thing that God is doing in us. This is what God is building us into as people of God. So when we are building people up, we are kind of reminding them of who they are in Christ. We're provoking them to love and good works. We're instructing them or inspiring them or encouraging or correcting them in a way that helps them to grow. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. All right. There's people in the room. It's awesome. It's awesome. Well, when Paul says in this verse that our words can give grace to those who hear, I think the NIV says minister grace, it means that we are giving more than information. Like I said before, words are cheap. The last thing the world needs is empty talk, right? More words. I mean, we're just so, words are everywhere, right? I mean, social media, just words, 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 talking heads, people, everybody's got an opinion. There's so many words being spoken. But as people of God, listen, we are filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Spirit can impart life through our words, Just take that in for a moment. Here's a few verses. The words, our words can be a fountain of life, Proverbs 10.31. The tongue of the wise brings healing, Proverbs 12.18. A good word chases away anxiety and brings joy, Proverbs 12.25. Our words can refresh, Proverbs 15.30. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body, Proverbs 16, 24. I seem to be really good at uh, sinking into discouragement. Is anyone else good at that? I'm really good. I can just give me an hour, you know. I, I, can, I can just go there, and, and I find myself, like, I'm, I'm down and in the muck and in, in the mire, Uh, just so easily can can slip into that. And my wife has probably hundreds of times through the years had to pull me out of the muck and just by speaking a word to me. Now, you know, she's not the kind of person that says, you know, comes in the name of the Lord and brings a big prophecy, the Lord God is saying to you right now. But it's not like that, you know. But she just kind of sees where I'm at and just, sometimes it's just through being kind. Sometimes it's just through expressing some compassion and, or just helping me to, uh, she kind of tricks me. She, I don't even realize she's ministering to me. You know, she's kind of bringing me up and out of it just through kindness. Uh, Many times she's done that. And we've all experienced people doing that in our lives. Um, well, Proverbs also says, and this is kind of interesting, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Proverbs 25, 11. And this goes with the other idea that Paul includes in this Ephesians four twenty nine verse, that we should speak only that which is good and edifying. And he adds this phrase, and I really want to kind of talk about this for a few minutes. He adds this phrase, as fits... The occasion. What does he mean by that? Well, we've all probably at one time or other have been around people who are like walking Bibles, right? And they just rapid fire scripture at us. um, And it just, you know, we're kind of getting pummeled by scripture. I remember um, not that long ago. Uh, just talking with one person. I think they talked for a straight hour. It was the first time I had met the individual. And I mean, I probably must have heard 150 different verses of Scripture in an hour. I'm not even sure if I got to tell them what my name was or that I'm a Christian too or something. You know, Um, I'm a pastor, actually. None of that mattered. It was like rapid-fire Bible. You're getting Bible right now. And it just... um, So... This is kind of an extreme example, but this happens. Okay, Christians do this. I've done this definitely uh, in my earlier days, in my zealot years. Um, you know, I've done this to people. But it doesn't build people up, right? It, it kind of uh, is exhausting to, to be around that, and it's not refreshing. It doesn't fit the occasion Now, the occasion means the context of what we're going through presently. They aren't speaking to us where we're at because they're not listening. They aren't even letting letting us talk in some cases. To speak in a way that builds people up spiritually does not mean that we dump on them everything we know or everything we can think of in the moment about God in the Bible. This would not be... Helpful at all and would not be pleasant. Everything we're saying, listen, may in fact be true and biblical, but it comes off like a clanging symbol, doesn't it? Why? It's devoid of love. It's just, it's devoid of kind of a basic... Human consideration. It takes no thought of our context. it they, they don't care to get to know us or to hear what's going on in our lives. They just like to, in some cases, I think, hear themselves talk. Not only does this happen inside the church, you know, we've all experienced this, but I think it happens every day sometimes when Christians are, you know, well-meaning, trying to evangelize the world, right? I remember I this uh, running into, uh, I was just on Thayer Street, this was years ago, up on College Hill, and there was this uh, Christian just hammering away at these two poor sinner Brown students. They were just like polite as anything could be, and they're just like listening to this Christian just go off on them and just like pummeling them with, Christ- with uh, you know, just Bible stuff. And I just remember kind of, maybe I shouldn't have meddled in the situation, but I was like, I have to get involved in this one. And just, you know, kind of tried to figure out what was going on and said, hey, do you is it, you know, do you know what he's saying? Is this is something you want to hear right now, or where are you at, or whatever? And I just started asking them questions about what they think and what they believe and kind of their story, or if they have any, you know, spiritual background or whatever. We ended up getting in a really nice conversation as most of my conversation was with them, uh, just listening to what they thought. Well, this apparently was really boring for the Christian that was like speaking to them, and he just left. He just walked away. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's love. It's like basic Christianity, right? This is Christianity 101. When we are filled with love, we are kind. Kindness is not just being super friendly. It's being considerate and sensitive. It's being hospitable. It's being aware of how the other person feels, right? This is a funny verse, okay? I don't know if you've ever heard this proverb. Proverbs tells us, I love this, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing, Isn't that funny? It's a principle that if we speak blessing, even wonderful Bible promises, at the wrong time, in the wrong way, it will not bless, but will actually vex a person. I always think like at home, okay, so I have my home office on the second floor. We have a cape and we have a little dormer. So my desk is right in the little dormer nook there. And uh, every single morning, my uh, neighbor Uh, This older gentleman, Ed, comes out. He seems very tired, and he just kind of rolls out of his house, and he gets in the car, and he goes to Dunkin' Donuts, you know, and he comes back with his coffee. I think this guy needs coffee in the morning, just like I do. And so, but I always think, like, I'm not that far away from him, like, when he's, like, because I'm right in the window, and he's, like, he's, like, you know, he's, like, 15 feet away, you know, and what would it be like? Hi, Ed, God bless you. The Lord loves you this morning. God has a wonderful plan for your life, Ed. You know, if I just screamed at him this thing, you know, with great well-meaning enthusiasm and gusto, he would probably, like, hate me if I did that. Um, And that's kind of the proverb. That's what the proverb is saying. You know, speaking Bible truth without sensitivity to a person's context can not only be ineffective, but it can irritate people and do more harm than good. Amen? It's important, for example, not to put the burden of the law upon a person who is already crushed by their sin. Likewise, we shouldn't speak blessing on someone who is unrepentant and willfully continuing in their sin. One needs mercy, the other warning. Some need comfort. Others need the fear of God. Consider these verses in in the book of Jude. This says it perfectly. It says, um, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others. Here's the second kind of person. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear. I think the fear of God hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I think this is saying that people need to be spoken to in different ways. We need to be sensitive. We need to understand where a person's at. What do they need to hear, right? Some who struggle with haunting doubts, kind of sincere questions that they just aren't getting. They need patience and tender mercy. Others, though, need to be dealt with boldly and urgently, The way we would pull somebody out of a burning building. You know, there's no time for uh, sweet talk and getting to know one another. This person is going to die. He's going to be burned in this fire unless we yank him out. Some people are are on a path of destruction. So much so that the flames of hell are like nipping them at their feet. Paul says, pluck them out. A little bit different approach there. That's kind of how I was brought to the Lord in in some ways by the individual that that really spoke to me and I was like the flames of hell were nipping at my feet and I needed some bold, aggressive, kind of in your face just pulling me out to wake me up. Thank God for that. But then he gives a third kind of person that requires mercy but their sin is so sinful that... Paul said, we need to maintain a hatred for their sin. You know, don't, don't get too friendly with them. Instead of kind of liking them and liking their lifestyle. I'm not exactly sure what Paul means by this because, you know, he talks about the garments stained by the flesh. Maybe he's saying we're even to hate the clothing fashion associated with their sin. Maybe he was just saying to hate, also to hate the outward aspects of their lifestyle." Don't let yourself be enamored by their sinful lifestyle. Be tender, be patient, but don't start kind of viewing their lifestyle as something that's okay or good. Maintain a hatred for sin. Kind of hate the sinner. right? I mean, I hate the sin and love the sinner, rather. You've heard that phrase? Um, I think that's what, What Paul is saying here. But the point is that we need to know where a person is at in order to know what to speak. Well, just in these last couple minutes here, how can we do this? We're going to, I'm not going to get too deep. I'm just going to give you a couple quick thoughts, but because we're going to explore this much deeper in the messages to come, like Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to, we're going to get there eventually. But I want to just give you a little, because I think a word like this can, it can feel a little overwhelming, right? Oh my gosh, I got to watch my, I got to watch my tongue. You know, I got everything I say has to be like life-giving. How do do we do this? It just seems like impossible, right? But I want to give you a little uh, secret here. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words flow naturally from the heart. Paul isn't merely telling us to watch our mouth. He's not saying that as though it were just some sort of, you know, outward discipline. Uh, What is implied is to have the sort of heart that brings forth life-giving words. Does that make sense? We can't just do what Paul is saying here by moral trying, by moral effort. We know that from many other parts of Scripture that we cannot be perfected by mere effort. Uh, Galatians 3.3, for example. We're not perfected by trying, but by trusting in Christ. It's through our union with Christ, our abiding, unceasing prayer, that the heart becomes full of love. Did you catch that? It's through abiding in Christ, through cultivating unbroken fellowship with God, keep guarding our hearts and staying close to to the Father and through you know through prayer, through meditation on the Word of God day and night that the heart becomes full of love and you know what the beautiful thing is you, you really when your heart is filled with love, you kind of don't need to watch what you say. (laughs) I know when my heart is not in a good place, it's very stressful, right? Because I I think I better just keep my mouth shut. (laughs) I think I better not say anything. I I better, oh, but I have to talk because this person's asking me a question, or I'm in a family situation, or whatever, and and you just, it's kind of, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just, you can tell the, my, my heart's not in a good place, and and everything I say is a little, a little off or a little just, you know, ah, who wants to live like that? Nobody, you know. But when the heart is filled with love, you can, you can be very carefree. Even your joking's fine. Even your banter's fine. Even your off-the-cuff comments are fine. Because everything that comes out, even just the random things that come out, they're like good They're encouraging. They're inspiring. They're edifying in different ways. It's just everything is coming from a place of love. There's a freedom in it. And so that's what we want. We want that heart filled with love. So when we begin to understand the high standard of what God wants us to be speaking, you know, only that which is good, right, we don't have to be discouraged. We aren't pushed to uh, pathetic attempts in our own strength to control our tongues, um, no, we are driven to deeper union with Christ because only Christ in us and through us can can enable us, amen? He can do that work in us. I'm gonna pray right now for us as a, as a church that God would fill us with his love and we're gonna do a, a closing song or two maybe of worship, whatever Dan has, I'm not sure, but... Um, Father, I just cry out that you would uh, fill us with love. We want to be people of love. We definitely don't want to be clanging symbols. Uh, we don't want to speak words that really have you know no effect on people. We want to speak words, whether it's just you know one on one or even a little text that we shoot out to somebody or an email that we write or even just a cashier in a store that we just you know maybe we're not preaching the gospel to them, but we we just want to speak with kindness and and speak life and speak things that are life-giving to people. Lord, fill us, drench us with divine love. Uh, Lord, because we don't have... We don't have the ability. You know, if from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our, our hearts are deceitfully wicked apart from you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, we pray for uh, just constant uh, replenishing and infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Shed abroad the love of God within us, Lord. Fill us, God, with more love. We need your love. Pour out your love. Pour out your love on every one of us, oh God. Give us a, a strong measure of your love. Sometimes I feel like we're in a place where, you know, we're kind of in, we have like, it's like a partial love that's there, but it's like the flesh is there too, and it's a little strained. Lord, we don't want to just be kind of barely in the love of God. We want to keep ourselves in the love of God, and we want to be overflowing with the love of God. So, Lord, that all comes from you. Lord, we need more from you. We cry out for more of your love, God, to be poured out to be shed abroad within us in those deep inner chambers of our hearts, God. Lord, we need you. We confess our need for you. We can't control our tongues enough, Lord. We just can't do it. We can't speak that which is good and edifying as cage We can't do it, Lord. We need the love of God. So, Lord, be within us, Lord, uh, the fragrance of love. We depend on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for thanks for listening, guys.